Okay. Okay. So hi, Jonathan. Um, really appreciate you doing this with us. You're, I know, very busy working on multiple things at once. So really, really grateful that you're here on a Thursday night doing this with us. Jonathan is the uh, co-founder of Silicon Beach Investment Group. He also works concurrently as a senior consultant at Deloitte. But before any of this, he took his startup, Classcast Live, to an exit. He's also worked at a startup called Upmetrics that helps social impact firms across the nation with data consulting services. He's also worked in operations at the LA Alliance, the largest charter management organization in Southern California. And finally, he also ran Professional Rebel Clothing, an online and physical clothing store. And fun fact, he started off as a car mechanic in high school at Europa Imports. Did I miss anything? <laughs> There's a bunch of uh, failed startups in between, but uh, I can save those for later. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, did I miss anything? All good? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just kind of wanted to start off by asking you who you are underneath all the hustle, under all the professional tasks that you undertake on a daily basis who's jonathan myers uh gosh i think i'm still asking myself that question 30 <laughs> years later it's changed a lot after you know you've climbed the mountain finished you know mba bought a house and still kind of asking that question um I think for this group, it, uh, I'll start with kind of a story that I used, you know, all the way from consulting and I still use today. Um, and that is, I was born into a family of doctors, but for my first little lemonade stand, I never gave either of those professions a thought. Literally always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, in undergrad at UCLA, I wrote my first business plan in the dining halls. As a junior, I launched my first company. And a couple of years outside of school, um, I had my first uh, startup, Professional Rebel Clothing, in six stores across uh, Los Angeles. So, and then, you know, it just keeps going. So, um, you know, if you have entrepreneurship, it's a bone in your body. Um, it's kind of a lifelong thing. People either get it or they don't. Um, but to me, it's just intrinsic in, in who I am. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like, I think you take on project after project. Does it ever get crazy for you in terms of like balancing that with your personal life and stuff? Um, there's definitely some sacrifices you have to make, um, but it's just, you know, who I am at the end of the day. Um, cut out lots of things that I, you know, used to enjoy as a kid, video games, um, you know, drinking and partying, you know, over the last few years. Um, but the end result is, you know, the accomplishments you get to kind of hang your hat on. Right. Um, consulting has definitely added uh, a, quite an interesting mix, and it's been tough to juggle that. And uh, Silicon Beach Investment Group, uh, SBIG is kind of the uh, acronym I'm referred to because it's kind of a mouthful. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's what makes good startups. And it's kind of what you need to do to succeed in this busy world. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know there's I know you may do a lot of things, but I feel like there is some common synergy between the things you undertake, for example, consulting, a lot of VC is about consulting with startups. You founded multiple companies and you said even some failed and you look completely fine with it. You, I feel like you've owned up to it and all of that. So I kind of wanted to see like how that translates onto you um, having graduated, uh, currently doing your MBA program and stuff. How, how does that synergy look like? How does that carryover look like from profession to profession? Um, I think the first is like tenacity, right? You like every great person, whoever it was, right? Like they have failed 
hundreds of times before that, right? That's like the hallmark of any good person is they just like, they don't stop trying and they learn from what they sucked at and what they failed at. And they're able to like turn it around and, and figure out. Um, being able to be uh, reflective, you know, I had kind of my first uh, performance snapshot today with some of my leadership at Deloitte and uh, got really, one of my leaders was really impressed to see me look back and be like, before he kind of dove into him, like, look, I, here's some things I, I already know I can do better. Um, and here's how I'm addressing them. Um, that's a big thing. It's a question in a lot of like, you know, interviews. It's a big thing in kind of personal development. Um, all of us are not perfect, right? All of us have our weaknesses, accepting other people's and appreciating them, but also, you know, acknowledging yours, figuring out what they are, figuring out what you're good at um, is kind of a, another kind of underlying theme. Um, but I'll kind of pause there and see if, if you have any other thoughts or on that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think, um, like you said, the best people out there knows what they're good at and what they don't and admitting what they don't know as well. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of people turn a blind eye to the unknown and just say, screw it. Like, let's do this. And then, I mean, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. So um, how, how does you being like a Trojan or, or, or uh, you're currently in the USC master's program, how, how does that environment and the network that people always tout that USC has and stuff helped you along the way and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I did my undergrad at UCLA. Um, I finished my MBA in June, May or June of this year. Um, it is kind of funny what they say is like the Trojan network is like very real. No one cares that you went to UCLA, right? It's just kind of like, great. My mom went there. Right. Even when I was applying to Marshall people who were alumni would like were happy to hop on the phone to meet with me just to talk about their experience and that to me was like really telling and looking at the two schools um afterwards it is was intrinsic in like how i got my job at deloitte um it was also intrinsic in how i built silicon beach investment group and the 74 you know members of that largely from the trojan network or people that wanted to be associated with that trojan network and even inside Deloitte, like it's a very real connection and network. It's the largest professional organization in the world. So trying to navigate that, like we have kind of stuck together. We have our own kind of like network within and people are, are a lot more receptive when you reach out and kind of like form that kind of relationship. Um, so it's, it's something that takes, it's just this culture, right? And it's, it's why I do this stuff and give back because countless people gave back to me and spent countless hours developing me, networking me, me with people. Um, and that filled my cup. And in turn is like why I'm, you know, turning around doing this stuff and is in turn why you will turn, you know, do things for the, the school down the line. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that, that's funny because like I, I think you knew from the get go that I was at USC. I think you were the one that reached out to me. So I really grateful for that to, to be having this conversation today. Um, I think would you say that in part had a lot to do with our synergy in terms of our school or um, the Trojan thing? Uh, sorry, can you? clarify that a little bit oh like um i i was saying like had i been from like ucla or something i feel like usc people they have that like oh he's from usc let me just reach out to him oh she's from usc let me just reach out to him did you definitely feel that when reaching out to students like us yeah 100 percent. I, I think uh the organization you know what i was really focused on and where i'll tie this together is that when i was as i graduated from marshall right 
I didn't just want to go to like a football game once a year and like stay connected with the school. Like I wanted an actual physical connection with the, with the university. And so as I was developing the model, one of the things that I did was tie in several advisors who have equity in my fund and that are you know professors at USC. Um, and on Monday, we held our first in-person hybrid uh, general meeting on campus. And that was like my dream, right? I wanted a reason to become, come back to campus, stay connected with this network. Um, and, you know, back to the, your, your question on like the Trojan thesis and culture, like it's really built into it. All of our general meetings, um, we do professional development and we also do networking. So every single meeting we've done virtually, I do like breakout rooms of people that can like go network, connect. Um, and it's part of the, you know, USC credo, but it's part of why organizations and leaders are successful. Um, you know, personal relationships are like the foundation, right, of like great leaders. You know, it helps your your staff and people you report to or who you report up to be more comfortable with and like kind of build that safety space, psychological safety, as they say, is like one of the hallmarks for, you know, leaders, good organizations, how you can have those conversations, you know, that are tough and push back. Um, so it's, it is all kind of like aligned to your question on the USC culture and, um, you know, what I'm doing right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I was talking to, I'm not sure if you know, Paul Orlando, yeah, um, he's one of our equity holding advisors. Oh really? Oh yeah. He, he and I, um, he, I was trying to get him to kind of advise us on this um, organization and stuff. So he and I are in talks to do that, but just generally, I think he mentioned something about Silicon beach investment group, but then just knowing that it's such a small world out there, or at least, trojans make it that way because like you you have all this all these people behind you like why not get them on board i think that culture is really something that i appreciated about um having first transferred to usc not too long ago i'm like wow this is kind of insane so um kind of going back to uh, venture capital and stuff like that why why did you pick um this career path like in the middle of it all yeah so as i wrapped up my mba i you know, I think if I had exited from Classcast Live with like seven or eight figures, I probably would have taken a few years off. But at the same time, I wanted to do consulting as kind of that springboard into my career. Um, I wanted to, but at the same time, like I still love entrepreneurship, right? Back to that, like, it's just intrinsic to you. And so in the next phase of my career, like literally Classcast almost killed me, right? Like as a solo founder, the amount of like time, effort, money, like, it was, it's, it's really rough. It's painful. Um, and I was like, I don't have another one of these in me. Um, but at the same time, I have that love. I have the experience of like starting all these startups. I have my MBA now. Um, and I wanted to stay involved in the community and use that from like a different level of like my network and I now have like money and disposable income. We have the expertise network and tying them all together was kind of the impetus of like that idea. So being in VC keeps that like love of entrepreneurship, but it is like from kind of a different, you know, lens and being able to kind of scale that. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. Um, I know um, you, you said uh, you beat yourself up with the whole class cats life thing just because of how demanding it was. Could you tell us a little bit more about that in terms of what you did, your decision making processes associated with that, et cetera? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll go back to like how I started it. Um, you know, the initial idea was that I am really passionate, passionate about, you know, 
fitness lifestyle, working out health. Um, I'm also, you know, really passionate of, about like professional development, learning, bettering yourself um, and kind of like the expo exploration of like the metaphysical side, meditation, all that. And so my initial idea was like, I wanted to make an in-person kind of community center somewhere between like a Soho house and a YMCA where people could come take workout and wellness classes together. Because a lot of times you like, you'll go to a yoga class, but everyone leaves afterwards. You don't really build that community. Um, and so, and a yoga studio was like, they just have yoga, right? And then there'll be the next Pilates and there'll be something after that, right? This idea was kind of a box where you could switch in and out of classes, have everything, have working out, you know, the kind of learning classes with, you know, community that is coffee, juice, tea, like affinity events, like this whole kind of community. Um, and so I was like, I really fell in love with this idea. Um, and it like COVID hit, right? And I was doing financial modeling and I was like, I don't have, you know, seven figures to like build this out and get started. Nobody in the concept stage is going to give you that kind of cash. Um, so it was like, why don't I start this online? And the, you know, the space could still have a, a virtual kind of portion. You could have cameras and people could like log in and take the class and that could bootstrap kind of like the long-term vision. Um, so that was kind of the, the idea behind ClassCast. And it was something like I really was passionate about like I literally was doing a meditation and I like kind of came to this idea and I was so passionate about it I would like hop up at 6 7 a.m seven days a week to like get working on this um and I I, I got you know pretty good ways in I had you know around 200 customers um but I wasn't quite breaking even and trying to like scale I was literally doing 40 classes a week and so when you launch, yeah, I was like, so there, there's two Zoom rooms on the virtual platform, right? And so I was like literally taking every workout and wellness classes. So I was like taking eight hours of classes a day, one to help like moderate and like, get, you know, new coaches on, you want to get them familiar. Um, and then, you know, to kind of build out the space and, and blah, blah, blah. So I was doing eight hours of classes a day, sometimes like two or three workout classes a day. Um, and then on top of it afterwards, like running the startup. Right. Um, so it was not just like mentally exhausting. It was like physically exhausting. And then it was financially exhausting because I wasn't quite hitting that break even point. And I'd kind of stalled out, um, on where I was at. And then I, um, herniated a disc while I was taking one of my boxing classes and I was like horizontal for two weeks. And oh, no. I just kind of like hit this wall of like, you know, six months in or whatever I was in just being like spent and I literally couldn't bring myself to do anything. You know, I was so, so burned out. Like I could hardly pull myself just to like pay my instructors on Venmo, you know, at the end of the day or week. Um, so I, you know, took off to like Hawaii and Tulum over December uh, for a couple of weeks and then came back and I was like, I got to do something with this. Um, so there was a platform called Micro Acquire who act, was actually launched by a guy that I knew and he was kind of scaling it up. Um, so I put it up for sale and then kind of went through the whole like process diligence and, um, you know, going through the actual kind of like legal sale of it as well too. So um, it was great. And that was kind of a quick, run like through it but that's kind of to answer your question 
it, like I literally like, physically hurt myself. And it, I think, you know, had tie in for like how exhausted I was from just running everything. Yeah, that, that sounds, well, at one, one, very resilient of you, but two, that sounds really painful in the sense of just being on top of the game, trying to make sure you're moderating everything. So you're kind of like a student at your own startup as well. And at the same time, managing that entire startup. I think that speaks volumes to, I guess, you said you were a solopreneur, uh, solo entrepreneur, right? Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know if you like the term solopreneur, but um, that's been going around. But yeah, like, would you say, let's, had you, uh, let's say you had a team for yourself, could that have helped? Or is it more the, I guess, how it played out? Do you think it would have played out the same if had you done it with other people and stuff like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I definitely had some interns that were helpful. Um, I, you know, my startup before I had a, I had an assistant who was doing, um, like selling bath bomb. She had a bunch of like different products and I'm like, I'm not really interested in any of these, except she had like these CBD chakra balancing bath bombs. And so we struck a deal and we started working on it. This was the summer before class cast. And we actually like were successful and like scaled start pretty quickly. Like we started getting in some in-person stores and then uh, we started getting some orders for like hundreds and then thousands of bath bombs. And we had already kind of had some friction, but like manufacturing thousands of bath bombs is like, it is actually challenging and it takes space and time. And when shit doesn't go right, like it's stressful, you're losing cash. And it ended up in kind of this like blow up you know, thing and split. Right. So there's definitely challenges on, on both sides. Um, I don't have a good answer for it. Right. Like it's uh, even at S big, we definitely have like growth, you know, and uh, we've, we've been pretty good with, you know, some, some learning growing pains word I was looking for, but um, yeah, it's uh, it comes down, I think more to like, yeah, I don't have a good answer. It's I think it's tough. Either yeah, way. no, that that's completely fine. Like, I don't think there is a definitive answer for that. But I think you painted like the struggles of both having, a, even if you do have an assistant, I think troubles are there um, more so if you're soloing it, I guess. Um, so that that brings me to my question: um, how how does being? I, I feel like you've been on the both both sides of the table. You've been investing out of Silicon Beach, but now, uh, but then before that, you've been an operator and all of that. How? I guess, how does being involved in the operator life or having been involved in the operator life interfere or help when you're backing founders as the co-founder of Silicon Beach Investment Group? Because I know a lot of people, they kind of want you to have that operator experience to have that trust. But at the same time, if you're an operator, you're inherently more involved in the day-to-day operations. So it's like, how, I guess, how do you find that mental balance when when, uh, meeting with founders and supporting them? um so does that a, question make sense no oh uh, no <laughs> no like i guess um what i'm getting at is if you've been an operator you know the troubles of an operator but at the same time as a vc you i think you should have some sort of detachment from that in the sense that you're backing multiple companies and stuff like that so i guess how do you find that mental balance yeah um honestly it's interesting kind of talking about that experience and looking back um because at the end of like 
selling class cast, I was at the like accelerator or like seed stage, right? I had good revenue. This was not just an idea. It wasn't just an MVP. Like I had market fit. I needed more cash to kind of scale it and, and, and bring on some of the marketing expertise. And that, you know, is, is probably an area of like scaling that myself, like I lacked and the marketing background. And I knew that and I try to kind of like piecemeal it together by like, you know, on Upwork by like hiring someone that was good at like this, you know, AdWords and someone and like trying little things. But, um, you know, to, to go back to your question, I, I think I've made like a total paradigm shift and like kind of like clouded that out. It's, a, it's definitely like a very different game of like how we evaluate and what we look for, you know, on the other side. Um, in helping companies really at, at that stage, um, what they're more interested in is our network um, and, and kind of our experience, right? We have 74 members, 40 different industries. We cover everything from like investment banking to management consulting to, you know, venture capital, et cetera. Um, so we're, we have a, a pretty unique value add, which helps us get on cap tables, right? Because the competitive deals are competitive, right? And they go like this. Um, so it's interesting from our perspective, because like we got invited to like a series B the other day that like looking for $5 million checks, right? So for to take a little like 50K check, like they see something else. And what I've been trying to do is use our value add to kind of like switch out maybe some of the capital for more equity. Um, I'm still kind of like honing that in. But, um, you know, it's some startups like don't want anything, right? They're kind of like running their boat. Like they, they don't really want someone involved. And VCs typically don't get too involved anyway. Like you want to help. Um, but we've set up a management committee and are like are supporting in like ways that we can. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's like this black box on like either side. And there's not a lot of connect on, you know, one, VCs need to do a better job of like communicating to entrepreneurs like what they're looking for because entrepreneurs like have no fucking idea and entrepreneurs need to do a better job of like tapping their VCs and networking experience because we've seen, you know, in two of our companies right now, like they should be doing a better job and we've like started these, you know, mechanisms and opened the door for them. Um, but they like the door should be like wide open. They should be taking advantage of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting from, from the other side. Cause like both sides have no fucking clue what the other doing for the most part. Yeah. I, I worked at an internship this, um, this summer and I definitely saw that in the sense that there's like a fundamental disconnect between what VCs look for and what startups need. Um, but I think with a team as large as yours and as versatile, you said you had 74 members. How do you, is there, are there certain industries that you're bullish on? Are there certain theses that you go by or is it just one singular thesis that you operate under? Yeah. So our initial thesis was um, U.S. focused, right? So we don't invest in anything. Like we're kind of open to Canada and Mexico, but like we don't do anything in Europe or anything for like a number of reasons. Um, the second thing I don't invest in is anything with medical devices or FDA approval. Um, I worked at um, Children's Hospital LA and their accelerator. And that life cycle of like FDA approval and the amount of money that needs to go into it is like, 
astronomical. So it cuts down on like they need more money and more runway. Um, and it's a much longer time horizon for returns. Um, other than that, like we're pretty industry agnostic. Like we look at anything. Um, I don't, I, I don't really, I'm not really bullish on like any specific industry. I know everyone was like so hell bent on SaaS and like started creating this like weird SaaS models for like the dumbest stuff. Um, I mean, everyone like tries to pull the SaaS model and when I go on stuff and they want, like, they don't have like single or like bulk and they just want to like sign me up for one SaaS. I'm like, fuck you. Like I, you know, I don't need a subscription to like whatever it is. Right. Everyone tries to run that model. Um, so yeah, I mean, FinTech is kind of taking off our, our first two investments. Both were kind of in that space. Um, that seems to be, if you look at, you know, industry analysis in the M&A space, like that's where a lot of the acquisitions are happening right now. And that's where a lot of the money is. And um, we, it's kind of by coincidence, but we think we'll, you know, we'll probably see more of that too. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of, um, I know there are some whack um, business models out there these days, especially because I think yeah, some will even go as far as to argue venture is in a bubble right now. So I kind of get why people go crazy with that. But at the same time, I think you have to assume some level of level-headedness. Um, so yeah, like you, I know you said you wouldn't ever invest in like medical devices, wearables and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on, um, this is actually one of the questions uh, one of our members had, uh, one of the board members had is like, what are your thoughts on the current state of Theranos? Uh, if you guys don't know what Theranos is, it's, um, it's a startup um, led by Elizabeth Holmes. I think her primary product was a on-hand blood analyzer. Um, she claimed could do comprehensive blood tests, but turns out it was a huge fraud. She tricked investors into putting money. I don't know how she did that or managed to do that. But yeah, Jonathan, like, what, what, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, it was a huge fucking fraud. There's a great book out there. Hiler, I mean, if you have the extra time, read it, right? Like she was absolutely a fucking fraud. Um, and it's actually really interesting as I look at these deals, it's sometimes like really hard to evaluate, right? I want to get really picky. And when I sold my company, I did, we did screen shares of like my actual payment platform Stripe and like walk through some of the analytics and like verified everything, right? And that happens a lot on the smaller scale. It's interesting at the larger scale, right? That's like not really the norm, right? We've been told that like we do diligence at like a series A stage and, and people don't really like it. They don't want like, you know, they're busy founders and if they have traction and like deals are competitive, they're like, fuck it. I'm not going to sit on five phone calls with you and send you all these docs and like blah, blah, blah. Um, so I can totally see why a, a lot of it is like network. And we, it, I'll give an example. We got this deal from um, one of our advisors who is a Stanford PhD alum. He, it was another like one of the Stanford network, right? And everything this guy said was like, great, right? And you can validate all of the market and all the policies that are going on. Um, it was in crypto mining, but you can't like go in and you're like, you can't verify or go to his location. Like, are there actual mines there? Like you have electricity bills. Like how do you actually validate that the work is going on without visiting it? And nobody has the time for that. And if you ask for that shit on a competitive deal, like people are going to kind of laugh you out the door. Um, so I can definitely see how it happened. And it's kind of frustrating to me um, that sometimes that level of detail is like not respected because I get fishy because a lot of these people 
just start like startup after startup after startup. And they like, just, they're good at raising cash, right? The guys that are good at raising cash know how to do it. They have good networks, good decks, right? And like good advisors, blah, blah, blah. They get a little traction and they're the best at raising money, right? The guys who suck at raising money might have a great idea and like might have some traction, but like they don't know how to make a pitch deck. They don't know where to start like reaching out to VCs. And like, like I said, it's a black box. Um, so I can definitely see how it, how it happened. Like I, I, um, you know, what could happen to like WeWork and SoftBank, right? Like these guys just, they, they put a bunch of numbers and even like one of the companies we're investing in, they publish like very specific numbers. And I'm like, well, well I want to see like X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, and they are looking for like series A introductions already. Great for us that they're on the next stage. Um, but I'm like, I'm not making any intros into them until I see like actual, like where their cash is at. Um, so I, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but I uh, will keep my fingers crossed. You know, she gets the book thrown at her and, and other people, you know, kind of learn from it. I'm with you on that. I think it's just a whole black spot on the entire industry, but I think it also speaks volumes to the law in the industry, or at, le at least something inherent in the industry where, VCs are looking for something, they're looking to put their money in something, but then startups, when their sales pitches are great, they're really good. Um, but then there's the whole layer of execution that I think um, gets, I guess, put in the back burner in, in the minds of people sometimes. Um, I guess then uh, how would, relating that back to the point of this organization is to bring people into venture and kind of let them figure out how to assess startups and stuff, stuff like that. What advice would you impart on one of us where we don't get another Theranos, we don't get too eager and like, like every startup we see, like what, what's the kind of critical mindset? What, what is that mindset you need to kind of weed these things out? Um, I mean, we definitely do to, to avoid, to answer your question specifically, like how do you avoid Theranos? I look at a few things. One is like actually customer validation and talking to customers and I ask for country customer introductions. The second is I bring in like the other kind of competitive advantage of our group is that doing diligence, like we did one on a uh, construction like IOT and they had a construction customer. They, they had like almost a, a million ARR last year, but we brought in like a few people. One of them like leads LA's office of like a hundred million dollar construction company. Right. And we like validated some of this tech from my experience, I don't have any construction or like IOT experience. And they're like, we don't think this is gonna have any traction in this industry. Um, so like actually doing that customer validation is good. The other thing is I look at their cap table. Um, institutional investors are a big plus, right? And nobody wants to be the first person in, but if you find another VC fund on there, it's a good sign. If you see another accelerator on there, it's a good sign. If you see a lot of people like to toss around like big names and big like, but these guys like throw around 25, 50K checks, like it's their hobby, right? Um, and don't, they, you know, they take a pitch and they like it. It's just kind of another thing to them. Um, so actually doing the customer validation, actually having like institutional investors, other like professional VCs on there helps a lot. Um, and then I, you know, I dig really deep in the financials, their financial models, their traction, um, whatever I can, like I, I'm pretty thorough. We're really thorough in our diligence. That's awesome. Yeah. I think 
I, I, don't, I don't know how some people miss out on that like thorough diligence process. I, I really respect what you're doing at Silicon Beach Investment Group because I think, I think the thesis there, the practice there kind of automatically weeds stuff like Theranos out. Um, I'm gonna, that's enough for me. I'm going to open the floor up to questions. We have some lined up from our members. So um, Sean asks, looking five, 10 years from now, what industries would you like to pivot Silicon Beach investments into? And what do you think of the current trend of general, the general public investing in stuff like crypto punks and NFTs from the perspective of you as a uh, professional investor? So uh, two questions, I guess. Uh, first question on industry, I have no idea. <laughs> the second question on like crypto and NFT. I still don't fucking understand what NFT is. Like someone's explained it to me several times. I get the general concept. I think it's dumb. Okay. Um, crypto, on the other hand, I am a big believer in. The, the Series B was a crypto mining company, right? And in theory, it's fucking perfect. You don't need a market or like any customer validation, right? Like they are mining all day. The revenue is right there. They're not like dealing with any trends. And so they were doing like 30 million ARR. There was like nothing to validate and like trends and anything like that. Um, from a personal perspective, like I have a number of reasons why I think like crypto is, you know, the next big thing. Uh, I will say though, that like with all the different crypto shit out there and even like some of my good friends that are incredibly intelligent, send me stuff. I can't tell you how many like texts I get and people that I respect and, you know, think are really smart of like, this is the next big thing and like blah, blah, blah. And here are the reasons. And I'm like, great. I don't give a shit. It's Bitcoin and Ethereum in the long run. Those are the only two that are going to be there because of like the adoption rate of Bitcoin and the application that Ethereum has like shown. Other than that, like I could care less on the other thing, you know, on the other stuff, I think they'll all die in the long run, a long, slow death and probably quicker for others. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and, you know, from a perspective, you know, a personal investment perspective, like I have both and hold both. I don't trade both and people like encourage me to like day trade. No, I, I believe it's kind of like a long-term play. Um, so that, uh, that's kind of my, my pitch on crypto. Yeah, I agree. I think especially with the whole possibility of mass adoption i know places like ethiopia and stuff are actually transacting with crypto so i think there's definitely a future there um we have two questions uh we'll go three more questions um since you have to go pretty soon um, i'm going to combine drew's and dylan's question and ask you how your uh, sorry um dylan and romero's question romero's question how do you have any advice for people tapping into the venture investment um industry and in that sense how well, what helped you get there? Yeah. That question makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, it's a huge gap in all schools, including USC. And USC has some good resources, um, but they're, I'm seeing this as a gap. They're not preparing students to get into venture capital. It is a really shitty life cycle trying to get into venture capital. Even from the MBA level, I had friends that entered three months, six months, up to a year unpaid, just trying to get in there. Another one of our... Um, members, he was a consultant at KPMG for like four years, right? And then he interned, I don't know if it was paid or unpaid for like three months, but like no uh, return offer, right? Because they like, they were just too booked. Beginning of Marshall, I someone offered me like a, a VC internship, unpaid. And I was like, nope. Uh, there is not really a good answer. It is an incredibly small industry. And it's incredibly difficult, difficult to get into. Um, 
And the education that even good schools like USC provide you don't prepare you. Um, the only thing that some people like is like serial entrepreneurs and then they turn around and spend their cash on like investing, right? Like think about any other job. They want to see that you know how to do what is done in VC, right? That is sourcing deals. That's evaluating deals. That's investing in deals. That's like helping manage those companies. Uh, it's investor relations. Um, so if you can figure out where to get those five skills, you'll probably have a better shot, but like most graduates come out and they, there's no school or clubs or like, you know, ways that like really prepare you for that. Um, you know, from, from, and that, I think to your sec, remind me of your second question is like how that played into me. Yeah. How, how, how it helped you get into, or what you did specifically that helped you break in. I, I mean, that's, I started my own fund, right? Right, like, right, right. Nobody was going to hire me. I had no experience. Um, so it was, there are things out there like angel syndicate groups for a bunch of rich people that sit around with their disposable income and looking at investing in deals. Right. But like, you're probably 40 plus at that time. Right. Um, and it's like, it's kind of a bunch of, it's things like people 10 years out from my age who are like retired or, you know, that's kind of like what, when they turn to that career with their disposable income, from this level, there is actually a pipeline out of like, you know, undergrad as like analysts, you know, um, but it's a lot of like sourcing deals, like being in the community, stuff like that. For me, when I was like looking at starting like different models, I was like, I could be a group that like throws events for VCs or some kind of like network. And internally, I was like, fuck that. I want a seat at the table. Like I want to be respected as and one of those people that do it. Um, and so that was kind of the driving thesis behind it. And then came like raising the money for it. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. I think it is an opaque industry. I'm still trying to break into it. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us are, um, on that note, um, would you say being a go-getter like yourself is absolutely crucial to make it? Because I think at some point when you're thinking to yourself, um, I can't really do this um, through the traditional pipelines like investment banking or like like you said, trying to host events for VCs and stuff like that. Like, I feel like it requires a lot of tenacity once again. Um, do you think that kind of big move kind of career path is something that's necessary for students to undertake? Yeah, I mean, to, the world is so crowded. You got to be tenacious in whatever you do. Um the i mean i want to like be supportive and like give recommendations for like how to get in it you know network with people it's funny though even when i like look up like venture capital and like marshall or like usc there's like nothing on linkedin right there's like this circle is like very very small um otherwise like i would say like reach out to people and like go to events it's hard man like LA is a city that like respects people and like it sucks in networking right because you're on the bottom of the totem pole and you want to get up and those people don't care about networking down, right? And they only want, you know, to network right up, right? So it's like, what can you give them, you know, what's valuable, even at SBIG, right? When we're networking with other VC funds, right? Like it's a process. And like, I have to put my first, we kind of had this conversation of like, how do we do it? And I'm like, they don't know us, like send them some deal flow. Like we need to put our best foot forward. And if they respond and reciprocate, great. If not, you know, whatever in networking in general, right? Like do like you could 
you do, you know, help them first, right? And then it will come around to you in the long run, right? If you're just going out there and like looking for people to connect you with people and like turn stuff for you, like even at my space, like in my area, I am always looking to like see how I can help someone else and network them with someone else. Or like, what are you looking for? Like I'll literally end conversations with, how can I help you? What's something they like you're looking for? Like whatever, right? And if I can do that for them, I'm gonna have a much better shot of getting what I want than if I am like hoping they'll give me an internship or like, you know, help connect me with someone, right? If you lead with that mentality, you'll be a lot more successful in networking. And if that networking, if you want to network into a VC, figure out what that is and then, um, you know, lead with that mentality. I love that. I think that has gigantic carryover, gigantic carryover to just any industry in general that requires like warm intros and stuff. I think if you know how to make it not so transactional in a world of just transactional conversations. I think that, that, that should be really good for us. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, on that note, we have one last question. We're not going to hold you up too long. Um, Min asks, why do you think the US is such a great environment for VCs compared to other nations? For example, the stuff going on with China, cracking down on the educational sector and profiting off of that and stuff like that, just to impose their control even further. Um, what do you think the US, US has done right compared to... Um, like compared to China in terms of facilitating VC and innovation in general? Um, so I think for, you know, starters, we, it's what our like, economy is built on, right? Capitalism, so when you compare that with China, like that's not the fundamental thesis of how their economy operates. Um, the government intervention, like it makes it incredibly difficult to even do any kind of like legal stuff. If, even if like you're a huge corporation, like, try you you can't go over there and start an llc or like some kind of company it's impossible you need to go like find someone you know that is there and form a relationship with them and uh that changes in every municipality of like you know bribes or like different laws or officials that you need to interact with i mean it's such a complex ecosystem whereas in the u.s they make it a lot easier though california sucks for it um and then the eco, you know, that naturally is just support of the ecosystem. The money's here, the venture capital is here. So like when we were looking at, you know, there's good deals out there in South America and in Europe, but one of the reasons we don't do international investments, one, we don't understand the laws, two, we can't support the network, but three, the money's in the US. All the venture capital cash is in the US. If you look at like all the VC dollars flow, flowing out, um, it's concentrated in the US. So when they go to the race in the next round, they're more likely to have those networks and connections within the U S and then more likely to raise more money in the next round. Um, so I, I, I don't have a great grasp on the concept, like, or, you know, the laws between the two countries and why, but that would be my best guess as to why. This general enabling of whatever innovation requires of the space, right? Yeah. Like just having the infrastructure there to encourage that. But yeah, on, on that note, I think I think that's it for today, um, Jonathan. Re really thank you for um, coming here. I know you have a project to tend to. Any last words you want to say to the students before you go? Yeah, I'll, I'll pause. I uh, appreciate Hunter and Ramiro for being on camera the whole time. If either one of you want to ask a question, uh, I'll stick around for a minute. Um, but feel free to hop off mute and uh, ask something. Yeah, I, I had a question. Um, what's the reasoning behind the move to kind of like the traditional corporate consulting job. Um, and I don't know if you ever, if you were in that the whole time, but it sounds like um, 
Is that something you see as a career for yourself or is it like an experience thing? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I think from my personal perspective, it maps a lot of my personality style. Like, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, they want to work on projects and I'm like a self-starter and creative. Um, and then I'm not a guy who can go do the same like rote thing at a job for like 10 years. So in consulting, I'm on this project for six months and then I go do something different and I learn and I, you know, grow and I kind of expand in that um, aspect. So that was like really attractive for, you know, me in that aspect. Um, I also, from the development aspect, the, the people are incredibly intelligent and just by osmosis of like being around, you know, people in that of like caliber, you learn a lot. Um, and the third thing I'll say is like, everyone knows it's a, if you do a few years in you know, management consulting, it's a great springboard to do, you know, whatever you want, not whatever you want, but it opens a lot of doors versus like picking a specific you know, industries somewhere else. Like if you read a lot of job descriptions and I, I pivoted, like I was in the PM program and I was looking at, at some stuff. I was, sorry, I was working. And then I was, I left that role after a few months and I was looking at like other roles. And at, every time I would go through, I would see things, uh, the, the job um, requirements. And the last bullet of all these job descriptions were like, we're two years management consulting. After like, you know, listing like 10 things that, you know, maybe I had like four or five of. Um, so it's a good springboard. You know, I like the people. Um, it's a, a great learning environment. Um, it is, it's, it's taxing for sure. Um, but uh, we'll see kind of the long-term uh, livability of it, but good question. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of questions. Uh, thank you for uh, being here. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah, so I know you mentioned the five things, and I was wondering if you could repeat that. And also, uh, in terms of, like, I don't have any experience, like, in terms of, like, work experience, like, applying them towards my career. And I was wondering what I could do. Like, what would you recommend for me to potentially do? To what the, just what the, what was the first thing? What are the five things? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you can apply, yeah, for venture capital. Deal flow. So, like, VCs, like, we need to find good deals in order to be successful, right? We have all this cash. If we, I get sent three different deals a day, like, five people on the right? Some are most of them, right? You need to be able to, like, find really competitive people, like, very quickly, that kind of network, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, deal flow is one of them. Then being able to do due diligence. Having bought and sold a couple of companies in the past, I kind of understood that process and um, was able to, you know, build out my expertise in kind of that area. Um, the third one is like managing and adding value to those companies, management. Um, the fourth is investor relations, which is basically networking with other venture capital funds um, or other accelerators and just like the general ecosystem. Uh, deal flow, due diligence, management, Best relations. I think it was four. We also have a a, uh, a marketing committee, uh, and we have the administrative committee, which I run, which kind of does like the general fund operations and stuff. Um, in terms of getting a job, uh, are you looking for specific venture capital or like just anything? Yeah. So just like just getting into it, basically. I understand that you said very competitive into getting it. So like coming. 
I have no experience. So what would you recommend for me? I, I, I don't have a good answer. It's mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like, as I mentioned, I have several stories of good friends of mine at the NBA level who had worked with Disney and blah, like had tons of experience. Right. And even after getting the internship in venture capital, like, right. It's super competitive. I understand like this is kind of the focus of this group. Um, <laughs> I, I think where the systematic issue lies is that USC and other schools, not just USC across the board, the VC market has been growing, but there's like not a ton of um, kind of experience there. So, you know, for me, it's like just being a part of the ecosystem, you know, going to events and like starting to learn a little bit more, being knowledgeable about trends, what's going on in the industries. Um, and then I would, I would just try to start reaching out to people, right? And like offering to intern for free. Um, that would be kind of my starting place. But again, I, I, it's it's super tough to get into, and I I, it's, I don't I don't envy it. So sorry, I don't have a better answer. No, that's fine. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah. it. Good luck. So I think that's it, right, Jonathan? That's it, man. Appreciate the time. For uh, sure. Hope to have you back in the future. <laughs> absolutely, anytime. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. See y'all. Have a good night. Awesome.